Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Off the Scribe Podcast. I have with me another very special guest named Michelle and Hang. How are you, Michelle? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, yeah. So I've been meaning to talk with you since I've seen your story and uh, what you wrote about yourself, uh, what you posted, and I was interested. And uh, you intrigued my uh, my imagination, and I wanted to talk with you. So, can you please uh, first introduce yourself before we get on with it? Shall we say? Sure, happy to. So, yes, my name is Michelle Anhang. I am in um, Toronto, Canada. I am a mental health coach. Uh, so, I specialize in helping people. Um, empower themselves uh, around their own mental health uh, to lead, lead a happier and healthier life. Um, you know, I, I believe that our society is not doing a great job when it comes to mental health. Um, you know, often we're just kind of thrown some medication and good luck. And if you get therapy, then lucky for you, but it's a very fragmented system and um, it's very disempowering for people. Often, you know, they just kind of feel lost and hopeless and not really sure what to do, particularly, you know, if the, you know, it takes some time sometimes for medication to work or getting the right one or the right dose. And it's a very frustrating uh, experience for people. So my, uh, my work uh, revolves around um, helping people find ways that they can you know, what, where the areas where they do have control in their lives uh, and looking at it from a holistic perspective of, you know, how much sleep are you getting? What are you eating? You know, you know, different types of techniques to help them calm themselves. You know, if they're feeling anxious or, you know, if it's depression, how do you get yourself moving with, with motivation? So, you know, different, different things like that so that you, you know, my clients see that, wow, there is so much more that I can do and feel empowered and, um, you know, take control of their lives. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's great, a great thing that you do. Um, but before we jump into our main topic, um, so can you t talk a little bit about your, your interests? How did you come to be mm. a kind of a coach, a life coach, whatever yeah. that means exactly, <laughs> or? Sure. Um, I've always been um, interested in personal development. I mean, you know, a couple, a few decades ago, I, I got my bachelor's degree in psychology. I loved psychology, the way the mind works, the way people work. Um, but I, at the time, I was very young and didn't want to be a therapist. And you know, was getting married and just got a job and went into, you know, a career that I thought was the right thing to do. So I ended up then spending 25 years in the corporate world, <laughs> um, doing jobs that where I learned a lot, but it wasn't really my passion. Um, and life, you know, has its way of bringing us back to where we really need to be. And we just have to have our eyes open to recognizing it. And so, yeah, Found, found life coaching. And, you know, I, I remember not knowing a lot about it, but a friend of mine had um, said, you know, take this course. She was a coach. I still didn't know what it was, even though she tried to explain it to me. She said, just try this course. You know, it's just a couple of days. It's over a weekend. I think you'll like it. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll try it. 
you know, the first day I was shocked. I was just like, I, I don't know this, <laughs> you know, like, where am I? And then I slowly started realizing, well, these are my people. This is a place where we can talk about our emotions, where we can talk about our dreams, where, you know, all of this is not just okay, but it's welcomed. You know, at, whereas, you know, in the corporate world, it's very much, you know, fixed on, on very different values um, that were not necessarily aligned with mine. Uh, so, so that was my journey into life coaching. My interests, um, well, outside of pandemic days, I, I love dancing. Uh, I used to dance two or three times a week. Um, I've trained in um, pretty much every different style, but I'm not particularly good at any one of them. So I say I'm, I'm pretty bad at a lot of different styles, but I can do a few steps in each. Um, and my favorite form of dancing is actually called ecstatic dance, which is a, it's, it's based on old, you know, tribal dances where it was just meant, you know, however the music calls you to move, you move. So whether you want to shake, whether you want to roll around on the floor, whether you want to dance, you know, freely jump up and down, you do it. And it, it's very liberating. And um, I, I love that experience and can't wait to get back to it when, uh, you know, things, things open up more here in, uh, in Canada. Yeah. So well, what were your the kind of major influences on you when you started to actually teach or to guide people in uh, life coaching. I don't know what that <laughs> is. I have no idea. I remember that maybe one time I went to something that maybe called a mentor or mm. something. I don't know. There, there is a nice word for it, but I can't remember, but they call it they call it a coaching uh, also yeah here but yeah I don't there's know a what lot of confusion is. about yeah so so coaching and mentoring are different um coaching is also different from consulting and I'm, I'm so glad yeah. that you you brought this up uh so co so mentoring is I have experiences in a certain area and so I'm going to teach you based on my own experience mm you know, help you help you grow in where, whatever area you're in. Um, consulting is also a lot of advice giving. In coaching, um, I'm the I'm, you know, say you're my client. So you, you, you and I are partners. And in this relationship, you are the expert, because mm -hmm. you know, what works for you. My role as a coach is to ask you the questions to help you discover your own answers to whatever it is that you're seeking. So where, you know, the, the, you know, I'm not going to make an assumption that something's going to work for you because I, I don't know you, you know, what works for you. So I might say like, you know, this came up, how, you know, is this something you might want to try? And if it's not, you're like, no, I don't. And I'm like, okay, fine. Let's, let's find what works for you then. So it's very much, um, you know, the questions to help you dig deeper or move faster. There's accountability as well. So, you know, when, when you have coaching sessions there, there's always what you know, we call homework. So it's just helping you move forward. Um, essentially people will get a coach because, you know, there's something that they want in life. If, if it's a goal, um, you know, it might be something very practical. Like I, I want to get a promotion or it could just be, I want to live a more fulfilling life. 
So it's very much um, present and future focused. So the homework piece helps you continue moving forward even between the sessions. Yeah. So when you're talking about all those types of branch of uh, branches of human uh, human the human mind or the human psyche, trying to kind of treat the soul with uh, all types of method. Um, what is the kind of preferable way to go about it or the method that you, that mm. is best uh, applied for, I don't know, so, the yeah. average person? Um, the best method is the method that works for them. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't believe <laughs> in, in, you know, fitting people into boxes, uh, you know, I, I grew up in many, and I think most of us have, you know, boxes that we've been fit into of this is what's right and this is not, this is what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I, my number one value is freedom. And I believe that we need to find out what works for us and to make our own choices. Mm -hmm. So even in the coaching that I'm doing with mental health, um, I'm helping people find what works best for them. I'm not saying like, this is my agenda and this, this is the formula that I have for you. It might've worked for me. It doesn't mean it's going to have any effect on you. So really it's about exploring what will work for you. Mm -hmm. You know, is it, is it about, you know, meditation? Some people love meditation. Some people say, you're not going to get me to sit down for one minute <laughs> you know, to meditate. And that's okay. That's not wrong. It's just a different way of doing things. So I, I believe very much that um, it's really just exploring, you know, sometimes we forget um, what's worked for us in the past. Uh, you know, we need somebody to help us remember how we have gotten through hard times in the past, because that's what got you through the last time. There are probably things in there that will help you this time around. Um, and if not, then maybe learning what not to do next time. <laughs> There's a lot of value in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems to me that a lot of, uh, I don't know I'm, if I'm a skeptic or uh, a scientist, I'm, all, I'm always a skeptic. It's, um, it's, not, it's <laughs> not a new deal, but, but, you know, sometimes I give myself up to the, the kind of divine or the kind of the, you know I give myself up to the to the process I let myself yes. go under the spell um so how do people should go about it should try to forget their kind of critical thinking to put it aside mm -hmm. and to kind of let themselves uh, experience the, the process uh, to really kind of dedicate and to be motivated in doing in reaching their goals for the treatment or process? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, neurologically or bio biologically, we're wired to be looking out for danger and to, to keep ourselves safe. That's how humans have, have remained in existence. So the first thing is to realize that that voice in your head that is telling you, you know, don't do that or being critical, it's there for a reason. And we don't always have to listen to it because it doesn't know the difference between a real danger and a perceived danger. So anytime we're doing anything big in life, anything bigger or outside of our comfort zone, the critic is going to show up. 
So I will often coach people around changing the way that we see that critic, you know, because really if it's showing up, that means you're onto something good. You know, you're doing something bigger, you're stretching yourself. And so we can either be afraid of it and then stay small and stay comfortable and stay where we are, or we can say, okay, thank you for showing up. Thank you for letting me know that I'm onto something bigger than I've already done. And now please move out of the way. I have things to do. (laughs) So different ways to explore that. And I think the first step is just having the awareness of when it shows up and realizing that just because we have the thought, we don't need to believe it. And then from there, shifting the perspective of, okay, it's here. Is there value in it? If yes, okay, then listen to, okay, what might it be telling me? You know, maybe don't gamble all your money away on this one thing, <laughs> or is it just, you know, because I'm feeling, feeling nervous that it's here, but really, you know, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm just, you know, about to put out a new project to the world. And so, you know, it's a little scary, but, uh, but I'm going to be fine. And I think an important thing to remember too, is, um, the feeling of being scared and being excited are the exact same feeling in our bodies. We feel, we feel the butterflies, you know, we feel that nervousness. And so we get to choose as, you know, am I going to be afraid or am I really just excited about it? So what are you more uh, excited about, about the kind of dancing or, mm. Did you always want to to be a, a kind of a life coach guide, or did you have uh, other fields of interest or uh, careers you want? Perhaps you wanted to pursue. Oh, good question. I I'm a lifelong learner. I for me, I I love pushing myself. Um, I love learning. I love exploring new things. So I, I always stay open to opportunities. You know, I think I've had six or seven different careers in my life. And um, I don't know that this is the last one either because yeah. life, life yeah. is like that. Yeah. Things come up and it's like, oh, yeah. I didn't know that was around. And that sounds exciting. Why don't I try it? So for me, I think um, I'm, I'm just most excited about discovering you know, what's ahead, you know, like you were saying, just kind of giving up surrendering, just, you know, being open Mm -hmm. to, to whatever might show up and, uh, and going with it. And that's, that's really how I found dance too. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I've always liked dancing as a kid. I, you know, never took lessons, but uh, I think I did ballet maybe when I was six years old, but it was just something that whenever there was music, I was always moving. And one day I just said, you know what? I'm going to take a course. I'll take some lessons, see what that's about. And I loved it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. It was <laughs> the same. Next? It was the same teacher as a life coach. In, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, uh, uh, yeah, it seems uh, befitting, shall we say, that she will. No, yes. I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, I'm half kidding. But what what was uh, the, the impetus for your current? Uh, uh, incarnation as a, as a life coach? The impetus, uh, well, the impetus was my own life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
dealing with my own mental health challenges. And, uh, you know, I, I live with depression and anxiety. And um, as well from losing my husband by suicide, he had severe mental illness as well. And seeing um, how little support we had. And, you know, again, like I mentioned, just the fragmented system around it um, that people are really suffering and don't know where to turn. And there are so many phone numbers and so many things, but it's kind of, you know, you have one helpline or a few sessions and then you're on your way. Okay, now what? So um, through this experience, this is what had me, had me really recognize that this is an area that I know a lot about and that I see there's a need. So can you take me... Can you recollect or take me back to what, when did the, the, the kind of a depression uh, route where the kind of a, the road to, I don't know, to um, self-destruction began for, for you as well, as you, you've mentioned, you kind of, you fell into deep uh, depression, uh, so as well as your husband. So, what 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 are the kind of the predecessors or the precursors for oh, that, that beginning? Yeah, yeah. You know, so so many different variables, so many things that you know we could point to. Um, you know, I I th- you know for for my husband, um, you know, he had. Um, had some mental health challenges throughout his life, but, um, you know, growing up in the seventies, it wasn't something that was really identified and, you know, didn't know about, um, you know, the lack of education, lack of knowledge and understanding. Um, you know, I, I had um, moments of depression as well, but they were so few and far between that, I didn't recognize them to be that. And, um, you know, I always just thought, okay, I'm, I'm feeling down. Like there was always a reason I could put behind it. Um, you know, whether it was the reason or not, but I was, you know, able to justify it to myself. Um, but with my husband, um, you know, he, he was experiencing, um, his own, his own challenges. He, he had, uh, he was diagnosed um, with bipolar disorder and a form of schizophrenia. I believe they call it schizoaffective disorder, mm. which is essentially bipolar. So you have the manic um, episodes and you have depression and he had the voices in his head as well that were, were talking to him. So I think with him, it was gradual as well. Um, and then, you know, throw in some stigma and, you know, he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to worry me. He didn't want to worry anybody. He hid it for a long time um, till it got to a point where, you know, he couldn't hide it anymore. It was affecting his work. Um, you know, it was affecting our family. And um, that's, that's when he got the help that he needed. But um, unfortunately, his, his illness was quite progressed at that point. Um, and till they, you know, they were trying to figure out the different medications and different forms of treatment. Um, and that was a two and a half year process. Um, and they never really got it quite right. And by the end of his life, he, 
was taking 17 pills a day, you know, between antipsychotic medication, um, you know, I, I don't even know what the, it was a cocktail and then pills to counter the side effects of all the different medications he was taking. So he, he essentially lost hope. He didn't feel like he was going to get any better. He felt that, you know, the voices in his head were getting louder and, you know, he didn't feel like there was anything he could do about it. And, you know, I mean, he, he called me before he, he died and he told me he just, he had given up. Yeah, yeah. So when did you kind of uh, notice the, the signs beginning to pop up that he was uh, starting to spiral? Yeah, um, it's hard to pinpoint um, exactly because Again, it was pretty sporadic. You know, it was more, um, you know, the depression was kind of there, but again, he, he was fighting it, he was resisting it. And there were unusual things that were happening. You know, now looking back, I can say, oh, there, there was that, there was this. But at the time it was just, you know, you're, you're so close and you're in this life with this person day to day. And then one very unusual thing happens that of course the person can explain, you know, in their own way of why it made sense. So you're not putting, you know, I wasn't putting the two together that, oh, maybe there's something wrong. And I also, I didn't have the education. I didn't know oh these these are things to be looking out for maybe there's something wrong and i i you know what prompted us to get him treated which led to the diagnosis was that the depression got so bad that um he he couldn't get out of bed for days and so that's when it was like okay we need to get you the help um and then you know through through that process they that's when they diagnosed the rest and then it was like oh okay now, now that I know that it's bipolar disorder, now I understand what those unusual things were. Did he try to, to bring it up uh, during your conversation in some shape uh, or form? Um, that he wanted to die? No, what he oh. was uh, going through his uh, own he, depression. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't want to talk about it. That was the problem that he, he thought he had it under control. And, you know, he was the type of person that wanted to help people not get help from people. So he was very much, you know, I'll, I'll take care of this. I've got it. Uh, so he didn't share most of it with me. So I don't, I don't want to to go too deep or to probe you too much, mm -hmm. but just uh, if you can talk about a little bit about uh, depression or early signs of, uh, of the depression, how does it uh, look like? What should you sure. be uh, guarding against, shall we say? Yeah, so depression, um... You know, a lot of people will hear like depression, oh, they can't get out of bed, they're very sad, um, you know, and those are definitely symptoms of depression, and it can look different in different people. Um, so when I experienced my depression, um, 
you know, and, and this was also part of what took me so long to get the diagnosis was, uh, so for me, depression was just being tired all the time. Mm-hmm. And I needed to take a nap in the afternoon and I'd be sleeping nine hours at night and I just felt physically tired. So it was, you know, you could almost say like, you know, I could think about it that, oh, maybe I'm coming down with something. My body feels fatigued. I didn't feel the sadness for me. I couldn't feel anything. And so that's actually how I knew something was wrong because usually I'm the type of person that will cry at every movie and cry in commercials. You know, if people win a million dollars, I'm crying because I'm so happy for them. (laughs) And so for me, the signal was actually, I'm not crying. I'm not feeling anything. I couldn't feel joy and I couldn't feel sadness and I was tired. So, um, you know, that's, that's different ways that it can manifest, but essentially, you know, the, the feeling of just slowing down, not being motivated and, and having it last for, you know, a period of time. So it's something, you know, it may be, you know, you're, you're experiencing it over a number of weeks. Um, It could be a day here, a day there, but if, you know, somebody is noticing that while there's a pattern here, it's worth getting it checked out. Um, and, and not to say that it is necessarily a mental illness either. I, I always say to people, you know, when you, you know, if you're not feeling like yourself, go to your doctor first um, and ask for blood work because often there are vitamin deficiencies. There could be thyroid issues. There are different medical reasons that could be why you're feeling tired, why you don't have the energy, why you're feeling emotional or unemotional. So always do that to rule it out. Um, and then, you know, the doctor can usually tell, you know, just, you know, they can do an assessment with you. Uh, but it's, it's a good place to start just with your family doctor that you know, and trust. Um, you can say, I am concerned it's depression, you know, just to let them know that is a concern and, and ask for the full blood work as well to rule out. Cause you know, I know vitamin B12, um, you know, if, if that's too low, we're going to feel tired. And, and that will affect our mood as well, just being tired. So, so it's always best to rule these things out first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your kind of uh, opinion on, I don't want to say kind of treatments or medication because, you know, both of us don't have a, a right. the, we're not, we're not a, a pharmacist or medical doctors or physicians and we don't have the you know uh we don't have the degrees (laughs) don't have the the authority authority, to speak on the matter that's what i was trying to say but yeah of course we don't have that that also but i'm trying to get back to kind of living with someone with a depression or someone might be living with someone with depression what are the the kind of the telltale signs even though the person is refusing to talk he mm. displays a lot of kind of um, physical fatigue um, maybe displays a kind of erratic behavior or uh, impulsive acts Uh, so what are the things you should watch for? Well, you just named most of them, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, and again, it's, you know, it's really, if the person is, is behaving out of their norm, 
know, they're not acting as they usually do. That's, that's an indication that, you know, maybe there's something going on, whether it's mental illness or not, we don't know. But, um, you know, if you're noticing that your loved one is not themselves, you know, it's worth pointing it out to them and just saying, I'm noticing you're not yourself. Mm. And, you know, this is where you can suggest to them, maybe go to your doctor, get some blood work done, see, see what they say. Um, you know, and, and remembering too, that, you know, if your loved one is an adult, they may say no, they may not want that. And, you know, there's, there's not much we can do, um, to get a loved one treatment, um, you know, particularly if you're just having suspicions, obviously, if, if somebody's in an extreme case, that's something else. And, and often you'll already know that there's something there. Um, but in the case of a family member, you know, just making the suggestion, offering to be, you know, loving support um, to help them if they, they need help making an appointment, um, if, you know, and, and you want to check in with them too. You don't want to be going and making the appointment for them and, hey, I made an appointment for you at the doctor. Let again, it's empowering them that this is their health. And, um, you know, just saying, I'm here to support you in any way. Let me know if you want me to go with you to an appointment or make the appointment, whatever it is. Or maybe, maybe they just want you to listen, you know. But often we try to, you know, when we love someone a lot, we want to fix them and make them better. And so we have to remember that that's not our role. It's not to fix them. We can't. We, we are yeah. just their loved one. We, we don't have the, um, the professional training, but, you know, you can do what you can to, to help them get that kind of training. Yeah. And um, if you're, you know, living with somebody who has um, a, any kind of mental illness, I think the most important thing that you can do is take care of yourself. And I, I know a lot of people will be like, oh my gosh, that feels so selfish. And it's not. It's, it's the most generous thing that you can give to them. I mean, for one thing, it takes the focus off of the loved one, because often we're just like, are you okay? And how are you feeling now? And how are you feeling now? And how about now? <laughs> you know? And, and you know, they start to, to get upset because it's like, get off me, leave me alone. I'm okay. So when we're remembering, okay, the focus is on us, then it takes a little bit off of them. And also we can't, support our family members or our loved ones when we are not taking care of ourselves we have to have that full cup and then we have the overflowing that's what we give to to our loved ones and um you know i i often say that when when we're tired and you know we're we're too much in their space um you know, we get it to a place where we start to get resentful too. It's like, oh, I always have to take care of them. I always have to check up on them. And that's not being a loving person because really deep down, we're, we're a little bit angry that we have to do this. So that's the other piece of self-care. When you're taking care of yourself and you're well-rested, you've given your, you know, you're, you're exercising, you're doing whatever it is you need to do. You're having your distance and your free time then the time that you spend with your family member is so much more valuable because you're coming from a place of like, I'm full. And now, you know, what can I give to you versus, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. And now you need something else from me. You know, it's very different energies around that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't make a, a person drink from the well that he doesn't want to drink from and he yes. has to do it by himself. And, you know, it's like, uh, it's like hunting a gazelle or something like this to let the gazelle do it that his 
uh, gazelling uh, stuff. Yes. <laughs> Love is uh, gazelling, and then you and you attack at the right moment. It's a. <laughs> it's. A, I'm sorry for this analogy, analogy, but I think it's. Uh, it's yeah. in place uh, because you have to give the person a, a lot of space, and when you see that they are mentally uh, kind of. Uh, they're freed up to speak and converse and communicate, then you attack uh, imid- immediately. <laughs> and you, well, don't attack because they'll feel that. Not, but not yes, a, yes. <laughs> attack. I mean, no. But yes. Not, no, you get my drift when you. Yes, when it's, all, say it's about yeah. the timing. It's, it's really, yes. you know, yeah, giving them the space. And then sometimes they're going to come to you. And just because they feel, you know, that their space is being respected. Yeah. Um, one last thing, uh, I don't think if you have any kinds of pro- proclivities to, to the art or uh, to art therapy, so what are your kind of thoughts on the, uh, maybe, <clears throat> um, what's it called, uh, well, I forgot, maybe, maybe the veracity of uh, art uh, therapy or the um, or the um, effectiveness, maybe. Well, is uh, is there any any kind of science or research or? Um, uh, I practicing? don't know any specific science about it, only because I haven't looked into that. Um, but I think any creative form of expression if that's how you can express yourself and it's easier than using words mm-hmm. use it you know it's expression is expression um when my so i have two sons they're now 19 and 22 but they were seven and four when their father passed away mm-hmm. and um they i had them in a, a group therapy uh you know a grief group and for them they did a lot of art therapy And uh, because little children can't really, they don't know what they're feeling. Like they can't fully identify it or it's like, I'm angry or I'm sad, but they, they didn't have the words for it. So they did quite a bit of art therapy and it was very healing for them because that's just how they could express it. That felt meaningful for them. So whether it was a memory box that they made or, you know, or a totem of, you know, just whatever it was that, that had meaning. And so really anything I think that that feels meaningful and you know and is an expression that's getting it out of you know your mind your body and getting it outside of you is good and if you're feeling better then it's really good (laughs) so that's how you know it works yeah well Michelle and Hank I want to thank you so much for this uh, amazing and uh, important conversation which I think uh a lot of people would be interested in listening and tuning into um, in their spare time, uh, jogging or I don't know, trying to, <clears throat> or maybe trying to uh, kind of cheer up uh, a loved one or to make make someone's uh, a stranger's day uh, a little better by their their words or not mine because. <clears throat> I'm not trying to make uh, people feel better. <clears throat> I'm trying to make them uh, learn, I think, and to learn myself in the process. Uh, learn to think about things, to 
maybe reaffirm the idea that that life is sacred and human beings should strive to to better their own lives and the lives of others by by their words maybe mm -hmm. i think because you know we jump into into action too fast and the mm -hmm. word is sometimes a lot more powerful shall we say has a lot of uh, a lot more effective a lot more influential than just uh, trying to fix something yes. yeah that is yes. broken yeah, in your perspective but so do you have any closing words before we go uh <laughs> closing words what can i say closing um, lines well i well i want to thank you first of all for for the opportunity to be on your show you. and i think you know most importantly if you're concerned about your own mental health or somebody else's definitely um you know don't don't wait you know do something about it um uh, talk to somebody there there is is support but as as i said before um you know go go start with your doctor start by speaking to your doctor as the first person, somebody that you feel safe with mm -hmm. and, um, and go from there. But yeah, don't, you know, especially during these times with the pandemic, um, a lot of people are going, are struggling. And um, the worst thing that we can do is keep it inside of us. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, uh, Michelle. This has been a great conversation and I'm hoping we'll get to talk to each other about other topics, if you're willing, in the future. Sure. I'd love to. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. And thank you for watching. Goodbye. <laughs>